and just left it there. And so we came in and we were like, "Is it in the bed?" Is we we the- smelled it, but we couldn't yeah, find and, it. And then like we both made eye contact as we realized at the same time that it was under the bed. And so then I climbed under and pulled it out and like, oh my god, just a bird's nest made of shit. <laughs> I think I love you, I think I love, I think I do. Hey honey, can you not do that ever again? I think I love you, I think at least I think I do. No, I I love you. No, I have never once done that. I think I love you, I think I love you. I think at least I think I do. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I think I love you. Sorry. Give yours a little testy test. Hello. Nice. We're good. Ooh, I'm nervous. What are we cheers. drinking, actually? A Malbec. Wait, we have to actually choose. A Malbec from Esther's Wine in Santa Monica. What is Malbec? I don't know. <laughs> Ooh. I'm so scared. Oh, my God. I feel really excited. All right, real quick, admin. What's the date today? Sunday, August 9th. And it's been four months? four months since we recorded five months I think. since we recorded no because we recorded a few times um in april at your dad's okay. cottage so it's been maybe three months or something yeah but probably six months more uh yeah since the last like thing we put out into the world yeah let's okay uh, let's do we each have to come up with like a five sentence summary for everything that's happened and we say it at the same time <laughs> A five-sentence summary for everything that's happened since that last conversation. Okay. Uh, the last conversation was when I threw up. Which was um, Christmas time? A little bit after Christmas yeah, Jan- time. Mid-January. January, yeah. Mid-January. Okay. I think, I've, <laughs> I think January to March is going to be just gone for me. Like, I have no idea what happened then, you know? We were looking at houses in California. <laughs> okay. I, I agree with that. I think we should do the five-sentence summary. Yep. I would also like to do reasons why we've now started to do this again. Wrong answers only version. Oh my God. That's so scary. (laughs) I already just thought of two that I can't say. Do you want to go first on what happened in five sentences? Yes. You should count on your hand. Okay. We were planning our life in California. Waste of a sentence. (laughs) No, we were planning our life in California. That is January through March. The pandemic caused us to drop our lease in California and move home. It's two. We bought an Airstream and started working on it at home. Civil unrest inspired us to stop recording for a while and to kind of quiet our social channels. We bought a house. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's good. I was was going to say, you give one of my sentence for George Floyd was killed. But, but I didn't. No, but I'm, but I'm, but I, well, we can talk about this after, but I, I want to like, I'm really trying, trying to say true, like what we're talking about so that we don't just talk about like what has happened in the world. Yeah. Because that gets into a conversation that like we are not necessarily licensed to be the ones to have. Uh, we can talk about that after. Yeah. I mean, we should, we should talk about it. Like I, this morning when you asked if I wanted to start recording again, I opened my mouth and then shut my mouth and then opened my mouth and then shut my mouth. And then I opened my mouth and said, there's a, like the reason that I'm hesitant is because we don't have a plan for why this is appropriate given all that's going on. And then it was, well, we can talk about it as a part of the podcast. So right. I, do, I do want to talk about that. For yep. sure. That's a pretty good summary. Okay. You do your summary. Oh, well, we almost pulled the trigger on buying a house in California mm-hmm. and we're comma and we're very close to, I'm going to end this with emphatic period, <laughs> like in, uh, Palm Springs, Palm Springs with, um, 
the guy from Andy Andy Samberg. Andy Sam- yeah. Yeah. Who's she? Well, doesn't matter. Anyway, great movie. Look <laughs> it up. It's awesome. Like genuinely was one of the the like most well rounded. Yeah, it was a great romantic comedy. I've seen in a while. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's so a we- metaphor for marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Caroline probably whispered that to me four times throughout the movie. Some people might not catch that. So we almost pulled the trigger on buying a house in California, comma, and we're full bore planning our lives to stay there. Decided really quickly, really early to pull the plug, to pull the ripcord on California and dropped our lease, which was important. Uh, And we're super lucky to be able to bomb across the country and have a place to stay with my in-laws, your parents, for free during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Like, cannot stress enough how absolutely choice and lucky that that is so you know what's not lucky is driving two cars with walkie talkies one of us carrying a urine soaked litter box and two cats in the front seat yeah so it's like a whole thing to do with that (laughs) i'm basically just doing your bullet points with more color oh great so thanks for blocking out the hard part we drove to Colorado and back in three days to pick up the Airstream. Mm-hmm. From Massachusetts. From Massachusetts. Yep. Which was fucking insane. Yeah. It was absolutely insane. And I think we did talk about that. I think we went through a period of time, too, where we were still recording the podcast, but just kind of going, what's even happening in our lives? Like, how yeah. how do we actually... Because normally when the kind of stolid, steady drumbeat baseline of our life was happening in California, we had things to react to. And kind of say, this is how our marriage is evolving in the context of a kind of daily normal life. And then it was just extraordinary event after extraordinary. Actually, a whole lot of black vacuum nothing punctuated by extraordinary events. So it just kind of felt like, what the hell are we even talking about? We're just talking about extraordinary events, not what it means to stay in love in a marriage in your 20s. I do find there to be a lot of irony in that we stopped recording as soon as a lot of shit started happening in our lives. Like we could record every week when we had a very um, steady week that a lot of where we were in control. And as soon as things started being out of our control, like we moved home with my parents and we were working on the Airstream all of a sudden and we were figuring out what we were going to do and figuring out how we could be better allies and all of these things like our this was the first thing to drop. We were intentional about dropping it, but I think that we... I think we took too long to come back to it. I guess I, I want to talk about that, but I want you to finish your sentences. Well. Or maybe it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Okay. But to that point, I thought the same thing for a second where I was like, oh, are we totally full of shit? Because the, the second that it wasn't appropriate for us to post about this anymore, we stopped doing it, which kind of runs. Counter. Anathema, counter, whatever. Is anathema? I have no idea what anathema means. Really? I don't even think I can say it right. Anathema. (laughs) Because the idea that we would stop if we couldn't share it with other people was not the point. The point was that we were doing something for us. And then as a matter of course, like by chance or whatever, we were sharing it with other people. You know what I mean? And why did we stop? And so I guess my point is I then thought about the time that we stopped, stopped, like stopped recording. Mm -hmm. And it was because of George Floyd. And it wasn't that we thought, well, we can't post about this, so we shouldn't. It was that neither of us could muster the like energy or focus to talk about ourselves. Yeah. So then I felt a little bit less like a piece of shit hypocrite, or not hypocrite, but like piece of shit for only doing this to be able to share it with other people and have a podcast. I was like, you know what I mean? I yeah. felt like we had like strayed from the purpose of this, which was for us first, but it wasn't the right thing for us at the time. So I agree with you that it took yeah. us too long to come back to it, but 
I stick by the fact that stopping doing it was the right thing for us at the time. Yeah. Not just because we had fun projects, but because genuinely it was like, how are you and I going to sit down and talk about whatever trials and tribulations we had in our marriage that week? Yeah. It's stupid. Yeah. Um, it's hard because when we stopped doing it, I posted an Instagram basically saying, we're going to postpone doing this for a while because people like us should be quiet right now and should be listening and should be giving space to other black creators and activists and educators. But the like inherently fucked up thing about saying something like that is that it implies that whenever you come back, you're done listening or that you have set aside a, a certain amount of time in which you're going to give pass over the mic. And then you're going to yank the mic back and be like, I'm back. And it's the same thing with everyone posting shit about social justice for a month. And now everyone's back to not posting about it. Most I have like, I have maybe half a dozen friends who are still posting regularly and primarily about social justice. And then I have maybe another two dozen friends who post about social justice in addition to their lives now. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the people that I follow don't post about it. It's something that I've been struggling with is the idea of, okay, well, if we start recording and posting again, what does that say about what I have, what, what I've basically cornered myself into by how I've phrased this of saying that we we're not recording right now because we're trying to listen. Mm -hmm. We can be recording and listening. The other thing is that it's really fucking scary that I set that up because now that means, even though I think that we would have anyways, now that means that we have to address our ongoing education and difficulties with like unlearning racist shit and trying to be better allies and all those things. And that is not what I think that we are equipped to do on like a mass scale, even if only three people listen to this. Like it's one thing for you and I to be talking through this stuff. I do not want us to ever be giving the impression that we are trying to be educators. So that really scares me, but also we can't not talk about it. So it's really fucking scary for me to think about us having any extended conversation even about our own opinions of what we've been learning about anti-racism and all of that stuff because I just think that is not what we should be providing right now but the last thing I'll say I, I now think that after taking the time for us to be paying attention and really solidifying our thoughts on how we want to be growing and being a part of better activism and all of that that this does pertain to our marriage and it's very relevant for us to be returning to spending an hour each week talking about ourselves yes because that's the goal of this podcast and also talking about how our own white supremacy factors into our marriage like you and i are so fucking privileged there is importance there and i do think that we have access to like groups of friends that could be encouraged to think more about this and all of that that's that's how i think about it is that the second that people that we started kind of getting not requests but like people just saying hey where's the podcast like we got a comment thousands of requests thousands of requests crazy our mailbox yeah i had to forward to a new email it was wild crazy yeah no, i got like, nudes yeah, <laughs> they were all from me yeah the couple of people who <laughs> they were all like bad angles and bad lighting i'm sending myself nudes at three in the morning i'm nice. like where's the podcast oh, i'm not ready <laughs> it's just like blue 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 Blue? Texting. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Texting myself. Yeah, no, but the uh, couple of super fans that were like, where's the podcast? Reminded me that while we continue <laughs> to use our social media channels and our ways of broadcasting shit to elevate black voices and help connect our, you know, isolated friends, frankly, with, you know, more resources and more ways to learn and that kind of stuff. This is just another vehicle for that. Yeah. And I think you're right to say that this shouldn't just become... A podcast about racial justice because we're not experts in that and it's kind of not the contract that 
the people who subscribe to this podcast signed, signed up, up for. Yeah. But I do think that when I all of a sudden realized, oh, we can still talk about this stuff and not not mention a couple resources or whatever as some kind of like penance to social justice or whatever, like penance that we have to pay, a toll that we have to pay in order to like pass on to the content creation bridge. It's mm. a horrible metaphor. But in a genuine sense, saying like, Every time we get on here and talk about stuff, the way that you and I are now, you and I live and are married in the context of a social movement. And mm. we are trying to push ourselves deeper into that. And so in my mind, that gives us, um, authority is the wrong word, but like that gives us, that allows us each week to say, read The Color of Law. And then the next week to say, listen to Nice White Parents. Mm-hmm. And then the next week to say, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it is a part of our marriage now right so i don't know do you know what i mean like yeah. it's just like it's another vehicle not to totally change this thing but like another way for us to kind of stay consistent with that stuff and hopefully find a, a different way to reach more people with what we're exposing ourselves to yeah. but, but again always staying behind that line of not treating or not positioning ourselves as educators because that also scares the shit out of me yeah and i also think it's there's something inherently fucked up about us even trying to say well, this isn't, you know, a part of our marriage, so we shouldn't talk about it. Cause it's like, since when do black couples get to do that and say like, well, dealing with racism isn't a part of our marriage. So like, we're just not going to talk about it. Like that is a point of massive privilege that you and I could even have a conversation talking about how much we can address the issues of systemic racism and that we can choose like the extent to which we want to talk about it because we can actually conduct a marriage and never once address it like head on, which I think is interesting. And I think you and I have talked about, we've talked about issues of racism and oppression throughout our relationship, but never like in the last three months. And I think we've also talked about it, um, in, uh, like an interesting thought exercise over right. dinner kind of context. Exactly. Like an aerial view of something that we discuss sort of to pat our own intellectual backs Rather and than, then to like, walk on. What are the laws in the place that we live? Right. Which is, I think the conversations that we need to be pushing toward. Right. And I started thinking about wanting to record again. I, one of my really good friends texted me a few weeks ago, basically asked me what type of conversations you and I were having about social justice. We got on a phone and we, she called me. I don't know why I'm sounding like an alien trying to be a human. Jesus. And it's, I'm not even like, this sounds really staged. This actually happened. Basically, we were both talking you know what about. This sounds like, this sounds like, um. <laughs> the LinkedIn posts that are like I'm, I was talking to a friend about how difficult it is to really connect online or like w- my child <laughs> fell down outside and I came outside and said Jimmy why do we fall down and he looked up at me and he said dad we fall down so we can get back up and that is the meaning of work and it was like, okay. Shut up. okay okay so anyways I was having a conversation with a friend and we were both connecting over the fact that in a relationship it can be really really hard to push one another when you're both white and privileged on your own privilege and often what can happen instead is you can say damn I'm feeling so shitty about everything that's happening I don't know what to do and like this is all so fucked up and your partner instead of saying like yeah this is really shitty and we haven't done enough or hey I couldn't help but notice that you said this and like that's pretty fucked up and we should talk about it partners will say oh my god no you're such a good person like we are such good people it's it you're right it's totally awful but like we're doing the best we can and like the insular aspect of relationships can be such that you are either 
really antagonizing one another, and that's usually not the case, or you are constantly reaffirming each other's goodness to one another, and that's a huge problem. And it was something that I hadn't really thought about fully until she brought it up, and then it was just really interesting to talk about because I think it's totally true. Where like, I think especially with women and men, I think one thing you and I have noticed is that women on social media, for whatever reason, tend to be more comfortable posting about their political opinions and emotions online and affirming one another. And when men do, it can kind of be like a a blank echo chamber where no one responds to it. And so women might say, what? Just if we just find out that all of that anecdotal data is flawed (laughs) and it's just because people don't like me and they like you, it has nothing to do with like gender overall. It's just like, fuck that guy it probably is anyways (laughs) all i mean to say is i have been in a position a few times where this has happened in our relationship and i've heard other friends talk about it where basically you say damn this is really fucking racist or we should really be doing more about this and whether it's a good friend or your partner they'll say we're we're trying so hard yes we should totally do something but we're really good people and we're doing the best that we can. And you basically shut down the conversation because it's way harder to look at one another and be like, yeah, we make racist jokes together in private and that's not cool. Or like, yeah, you and I lean on each other and we are not pushing each other to reconsider a lot of the things that we've learned because we grew up in the same school systems or we're like reaffirming each other's blind spots either because of our shared privilege or because of the relationship we've created where like you don't want to start a fight about systemic racism you want to have a glass of wine watch parks and rec and go to bed and so it's like marriages and relationships can be a hub for the type of interrogation that white people need to do and that often has to happen in private because people are afraid to say anything in public or they become an echo chamber where you're basically affirming each other's bullshit back and forth and then it's like the one person who might call you out on your bullshit at a point where you would consider it isn't actually speaking up and that to me is super interesting Do you think that that has to be um, something that's negotiated every time it comes up? Or do you think that a couple could actually make a pact, not a pact of some kind, but have a, like, sorry, this is like a veiled rhetorical question to hide my point of view. I'm just going to say my point of view. Okay. I think that. (laughs) Do you think that you might be gaining weight? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, have you looked in a fucking mirror lately? Um, It just feels good to swear on a microphone again. Yeah, it does. I love swearing into microphones. No, my so my thing that I was going to try to veil as a question, but I should just stop you doing that as a character trait and just say my point of view, is that I think that you can kind of have a conversation where we just say, we got to get way more comfortable about not calling each other out or like calling each other in. I think calling each other in is such a silly thing. Who the hell says calling each other oh, in? Oh, it's a part of the, uh, it's, like, it's like, you don't get called out, you get called in. What? Yeah, it's a thing. That's so dumb. <laughs> um, but my point is like, You can just have a conversation where you just say, let's both just admit that we have these massive blind spots. And when someone says something about it, let's just treat that as a great growth moment for both of us to talk about stuff. It's not that one knows more than the other or whatever, because I think that the fear or the challenge is that when you call someone out on something, there there aren't a lot of things in a relationship when you've been together for a number of years that are true surprises. Right. And I think that if one person is going through a bit of an enlightenment and reading things or has picked up on you know something about their whiteness or privilege or whatever that they need to work on but then they share it with their partner when the partner has already committed the wrong you know what i mean Mm -hmm. rather than saying hey i picked up on this thing in my own life and here's what it is you just learn about it and then when your partner like commits the 
the act. He's like, gotcha. Like, it feels like a gotcha. Yeah, it does feel like a gotcha. And so I just think sometimes it's hard. Like, you can't share everything you're learning all the time. And so there will be gotcha moments that you can just take the gotcha-ness out of as long as you guys have a conversation. God, I'm sounding like a fucking relationship influencer. Not saying you guys, but like that a couple can get ahead of just by having a conversation. I think you can just have one where it's like, this is safe now between you and I. And we can help each other grow in this sense. Do you know what I mean? Rather well, than each time being like, listen, I don't want to call you out on this, but. How do you think, has this changed in our relationship? Our ability to, our ability to call each other out on stuff? Has our, um, how has our, com- have our conversations about race and about our shared relationship to the study or the like interest in anti-racism how has that changed like do we call each other out more often now do we talk about it more often now i think that we talk about it more often now i think we talk about it more often i think we are now an outlier case because we have decided that it is like explicitly an area of interest for us right and so if you read a book or you get a whatever you kick down my door and you're like you won't believe this thing i was reading right you know what i mean so it's now it's now explicitly an area of interest for us so we do talk about it more often and do that mind meld so then i think it there's there's less surprises or there's less um inequality between us where one person is doing something that is more backward that the other person is more progressive on i do think there is like a small sliver of the this type of conversation pie that we do tend to rub up against each other on and i think it's when i tend to sometimes like lean towards a libertarian streak where I'll kind of zoom out and be like, well, what the fuck, uh, what the fuck's happening right now anyways in the grand scheme of humanity? And how, how, how do we know what's going to change in the next 20 years? And, and the example I would give is that I came across an article that a person I used to know wrote on, she wrote it on Medium a few weeks ago, and it was basically about how cancel culture is ruining everything, blah, blah, blah. And I read it and totally connected with it. And then I sent it to you and you were like, this is alt-right garbage. And I got really upset because I think sometimes to a fault I can want to not go with the zeitgeist or be like almost intentionally afraid of progressivism because I'm afraid of being in a bubble myself and plot twist like she's super down an alt-right rabbit hole and you were like a week ahead of the game and you were right but I do think that's where that's the only place where you and I can sometimes disagree is when I can say shit that probably I wouldn't feel comfortable saying to anyone else where I can say like like the the only example I would feel comfortable giving while we're recording would be that sometimes I'll say like is healthcare a right what is a right like mm-hmm. what what does that mean that something's a right mm-hmm. like as a society we can agree that we all want these things but what does it mean that something is a right what is what is enti- what are we entitled to as humans as animals I don't know we make a social compact but the idea of laws being rights really rubs me the wrong way because I think that it's like it's like a sneaky political grab from both sides of the aisle to be like, this is a right. Having guns is a right. Healthcare is a right. And it's like, no, it's not. It's a system that we have created that other societies have created differently. Mm-hmm. It could be, we all want healthcare, so let's vote for it. But like, it's a right. I don't know what that means. But so, so all of which is to say, I can go down that with conversations about race and white supremacy mm-hmm. to, to 
a danger for myself. And I think that at times you and I have gotten in disagreements about that. And for the most part, I'm really grateful for it. And if you were just to say like, yep, you're right, honey, then I could see myself leaning towards being radicalized but or I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't like a meet. Yeah, I yeah. don't think so. But like, yeah, maybe. No, who knows? That makes sense. I think the, the place where I've erred in those situations, though, is that I actually get offended. Right. And then I kind of come back to you and I'm like, are you kidding me? And there's probably a middle ground where I do more calling in rather than calling out or whatever. <laughs> And I say, have you noticed these few passages where, you know, this woman who's writing this article is kind of spewing back some alt-right stuff? I feel like, you know, even though these few points that you've pointed out are feel, you know, face valid and salient to me, uh, the fact that it's nested within these other things make me not want to share this article or right. should maybe make you cautious about sharing this article with other people. Even if it's these few points, they might think you agree with the whole thing. But I think my point is that I... I kind of overrevved emotionally and was like disgusted. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah, and so and so I just think that is the thing that we're still negotiating is even though we're both super interested in a more detailed uh look at racial justice and the umbrella surrounding that of like human rights. Even though we're more interested in it and are having um more positive conversations about it, there are definitely still moments where you and I that fall outside of the intersection of our Venn diagram. Yeah. That we're not perfect at dealing with yet, you know? Quick aside on the whatever is a human right thing. Mm. I was talking to somebody about <laughs> what? You're like women. Another great yeah, example. I'm like, first of all. <laughs> no, but someone, uh, I was having a conversation about uh, a video game client of ours, and um, someone was going on a, a, a tear, and basically were about to, they were about to land this uh, sentence or this thought on because play is a human right you know and they were going to say everyone deserves play and blah 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 but they landed on play is a human need and i mm. had been expecting to hear right and then when they said need i was like first of all thank you for not doing the fill in the blank is a human right thing because that's such an overused financial literacy is a human right no it's not right so I just think it's overused and I think the fact that they pivoted to is a human need then it takes it from a matter of principle to a, like a quantifiable thing or a scientific thing of I need this thing I need play or I, I need um, whatever and so I don't know I just like because we do frequently talk about that issue that slight pivot helps mm -hmm. me a lot because then, yeah. then you can say well then how do we serve that need right rather than universally apply this right Anyway, digression. How do you feel about the time we took off? Was it helpful or valuable? Did you notice that we weren't having the conversations? Like, what what can you say about the time? And I think the hard thing is, is that if and when we post this, I think that we've both decided we're going to have to post it next, which means that we have, like, between 10 and 12 conversations, I think, that we're not going to share. More than that. Yeah. So that's a weird thing is, like, the, the, the challenge of this project is that we wanted a time capsule and basically for so many huge parts of our life, <laughs> we just went offline. Yeah. And it, it would feel super disingenuous at this point, given like the high stakes taking place in the world for us to be starting with those. In many ways, they're they're only relevant to us. Yeah. You know? Well, or yes maybe and, they're, yes so, I don't know. No, you know, because I think the, at the end of the day, what I don't want to say is uh, the world's still got to go on, even though all this stuff is happening. <laughs> That's, that's showbiz baby <laughs> yeah because that's horribly <laughs> insensitive and not right but um 
people are still getting married. People are still getting married young. People are still trying to figure out right. what the hell they're doing. And so I do think that the thesis or whatever that we're trying to prove out of what does it take to stay in love over the course of one year of marriage, there would still be value in posting those other conversations because we covered important topics and we grew, yeah. in, grew in certain ways and dissected it in certain ways. And But I agree with you. I mean, I, I think the other layer is not just as a as like the science project of it, but like the um, entertainment side of it. Mm. So much of that is in the context of the early days of COVID that no one, absolutely no one wants to start reliving because we're not out of it yet. No right. one's nostalgic for the beginning of coronavirus yet. <laughs> right. So I agree with you. It's like, let's, we have the files. Let's put it in a box. Yeah. And maybe we, when we're incredibly point. famous one day, we'll <laughs> yeah. sell them for a very high rate. Would you believe? But now I think what we actually have are bookends, right? Like we did the first right. three months of our marriage and now we are kind of approaching the last three months. The of last our three months of our marriage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> The last three months of the first year. Of we our just shake hands and then go on our ways. Yeah. Our families are like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's been, uh, oh, it's not what the fuck. It's um, the fuck you. That's one of my favorite new bits that you do. Yeah. Um, highs and lows of the last six months. Uh, <laughs> my uh, jokey high. is. Oh, you always do like 50 highs and yeah. lows. Is that you're funny, and you and I think oh. yeah, and I think you have continued to get funnier, <laughs> and I just love spending time with you. <laughs> and my genuine high is that, um, and I've told you this, but throughout the process of buying this house, which I want to talk about a little bit more, mm -hmm. one of the major problems that you and I like the biggest fight that we like actually recorded and posted before uh, we kind of went dark. <sighs> Was about me saying, you're not a type A person. We didn't post that. Really? Yeah, that's one of the good ones we're going to keep in the archive. Oh my <laughs> god. It's archive, isn't it? Oh my god. You know what's so sweet? I, oh my god. You don't often mispronounce words, but uh, when you do, it's because you've read it. And I will never fault someone for mispronouncing a word, uh, because that means that they picked it up from reading, not from... Just hearing it. Archive. Humiliating. You're an idiot. It makes me think of those Disney, like, really threatening commercials they used to do where they were like, buy the Little Mermaid now or it's going back into the archive oh, forever. Yeah, yeah. The lock archive. Yeah. yeah, Disney really had, like, a fear-mongering sales <laughs> yeah. approach for, like, a children's company. It worked. They posted their first quarterly loss in 20 years. Okay. Okay. No one cares about that. We should maybe resurface that one, though. Is that a pinhole camera coming out of the wall by that frame? Whoa. Are we being watched? <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Uh, that last... So we should post that fight because that we was We got like, a massive fight when we, we were moving to go home. a real barn burner of a fight. Yeah. And it lasted for like a week. And Maybe I, we'll do like special bonus episodes that aren't. <laughs> we'll know that like we can add in, but they're not chronological. Are you feeling really balanced and peaceful? <laughs> do you want to have your uh, cortisol levels go through the fucking roof? That Here's was, I think, the worst episode. fight we've ever gotten in. It was awful. I remember too. We were sitting. Was the mattress on the floor, or were we sitting in the frame of the bed that I was trying to build? Or deconstruct. We were deconstructing everything because we were packing. Oh, my God. I don't remember how we resolved it, but I do remember how it started, so now I'm upset again. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I have so many things to say. <laughs> my one, the one thing that was leading me here was, um, you were asking, like, did I miss anything about going dark for a while? And the one thing that I actually did not miss 
was um, the emotional instability of one of us as we edited the podcast, reliving a fight or like tough conversation we had the next week. Because yeah. even if there wasn't a big fight, there's always bound to be one moment or another where there's a little speed bump. And that speed bump can like start wiggling your rocket ship as you try to take off for the day by yourself. Yeah. And I just did not miss the editing process of this podcast. Yeah. So, but to that fight, basically you had packed something a certain way and I was like, you're an idiot and I'm going to repack this for you. And then... That's uh, almost exactly what happened. Yeah. And then I basically just cut to the bone and was like you're not a type a person and i don't trust you with things that are detailed and you were like wow <laughs> i thought we were married um and yeah so anyway not that i've been like like i haven't been thinking about that at all and then by chance or whatever i don't know throughout this house buying process you've been so on the eight ball and you are such an adult mm. and it's been incredible to just watch you thrive as like a detail-oriented driven adult thank you yeah and so i didn't even think about it as like i have to prove or disprove this thing that we fought about but i all of a sudden connected them and i was like oh we fought about this thing a long time ago i've now witnessed the exact opposite i'm an idiot match those two things up it's dead Thanks. That means a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I still do not think I'm a type A person, but I do think that I am increasingly super, super aware of the things that I do not naturally um, have. You're not naturally inclined. I'm not naturally inclined. And when we've been planning out this house, it's been something that I've been thinking about constantly is how can I minimize mess? Because you and I are both messy people. And I don't think it means we are inherently messy and will always be messy or that we're suddenly going to become really clean. But I do believe that there are like little changes that you can make with an awareness and that being able to give, have an open mind with one another allows us to change a little bit as opposed to me being like leaning into the role that you have reinforced for me that I maybe performed for you like it's it's a two-way street 100 percent. but i appreciate that because we've gotten in several arguments about that so i'm glad that i'm like proving to you that yeah. i can be trusted and in not that, that you have anything to prove to me but like i just have and that's my point is that i wasn't like waiting for you to disprove my thing it's just that i happened to notice that you were killing it we'll see how much you trust me next time i'm pouring soup <laughs> yeah that's still a major tbd <laughs> or coffee from one mug to another mm -hmm. over my face in bed <laughs> This is going to sound like I am like totally brainwashed drinking the Kool-Aid and like 23 year old me would look at me saying this and be like, fuck you, man, like live your life. What are you about to say? But I think that what you're talking about actually makes something like being more organized and like being a clean person fun because then you realize I have this long period of time. I can quite literally change who I am. Mm -hmm. It almost like I almost feel like a genetic science, like a geneticist like tinkering with my D my own DNA being like, you're going to become a clean person by the time you die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then just focusing on that and realizing there are different ways to do it. Like the way that you organize your room, the way you set up a bureau, like different things that actually don't have to do with your own patterns. It's like little fail safes all around you that you can do that make you more likely to stay in the line. It's, it's like having bumpers when you're bowling. Like you can do little things and learn little tricks and be like, oh, that's how people stay organized. They actually have a location for where everything has to go. Yeah. That's where people stay organized. They don't have 500 pens. They realize they don't need all those pens. Like little things like that. And then you realize, oh, we've stayed organized for X, Y, Z months. And it's because of like little, not just little behavioral changes, but little environmental changes that we've made together. Yeah. Speaking of pens, uh, Bic 
I love your bullet uh, felt tip pens. And if you ever want to sponsor a show, <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ, guys. Okay, so your high is how funny I am. Yeah, you're great. What is your low? My two lows are just like stuff I don't want to talk about on the radio. On the quote unquote radio. Although I guess for our be, relationship. I mean, to be honest, our relationship's been great. I like it. We never have sex. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> we are uh two sexless android. <laughs> we are dolls. two succulent to share a light patch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess but No, that- that's not true. We have. We have. You know what I'm saying? We have. No, we saying, like no, we saying. have yeah, I know. more frequently recently. No, I know. We've been getting better at it. Yeah, I mean my low was um, um that guy from Guitar from 90 Day Fiance, he calls it Jiggy Jiggy, and that's what I want to call it. Yeah, I hate that. Um <laughs> <laughs> Okay. No, my I'll call it Jiggy Jiggy, whatever. Um, You're like, I'll do whatever if it means us having sex. Well, I guess related to that, my low would be that fight that not fight, but that like pretty intensely upset emotional moment that you and i had uh sitting in the parking lot before picking up seafood that one day where i basically just said the fact that we don't have sex or make time for sex makes me feel like you don't want me that you're not attracted to me and it's the same conversation that we had over christmas it's like and then i cried like an absolute baby yeah which made me feel so terrible but it's i mean it's the same it's my same issue you know like i think part of it is Part of it is what you voiced in that conversation about your own thing that you have to work on, and I'll let you talk about that. But part of it is totally just like an insecurity for me, where I'm like, trust that your wife is attracted to you, even if she's not coming on to you all the time. Well, and also recognize that coming on to to one another has been taught to us that it's like three things. It's trying to kiss someone. It's like trying to have sex with them. That is what coming on to someone means. Mm-hmm. When in reality, my love language is very varied like i am constantly seeking your attention i constantly there's a little room in our house that where riley works i come and stand at the little glass doors and just stare at him and if he nods i walk in like four to five times a day Mm -hmm. so i i i do think i am very physical with you it's just not always sexual and i think that's the hard thing is that sometimes when you say that for me i'm like what are you talking about i'm literally only ever looking at you Mm -hmm. like i'm constantly touching you I've had a crush on you for like, I truly am constantly seeking um, validation and attention from you. Yeah. So it is something where I have to come on to you more often sexually, but I also think that it's important that we recognize the other types of attention and love because our sex life ebbs and flows often environmentally. What's, what's the thing that would say that they are directly correlated? Yeah. One-to-one. Yeah. One-to-one. Yeah. So, so like our sex life throughout our life, our life is going to ebb and flow, But it's important to me that when it is ebbing, we still try to maintain intimacy with each other and recognize that it doesn't like we do not have. Yes, we should be striving to have a healthy sex life. But also I want there to be periods of time where like if I just for whatever reason, like if I have a baby and then I don't want to have sex for two months after that you trust that I love you and that like when I touch your shoulder or when I hug you or all those things like there are different ways of performing intimacy with each other and none are better or worse than the other so Mm -hmm. like sex is the thing that everyone talks about and it's super important but it is by no means the most important thing like I'm constantly reaching for your hand I'm constantly trying to like literally attach myself to you (laughs) and it's important I think that those things are valued as much as Especially when we're in a very special circumstance. We've literally been living with my entire family. Mm-hmm. We've been living in a house with five other people all and, summer. And two cats in the room. 
and we have my two fucking cats oh here's something here's my low oh, here's yeah. one of my lows you know what that's my low too <laughs> here's my low pancake and ophelia have to be in my childhood bedroom with us and they can't leave because my family they're all allergic to cats honestly it's like animal abuse it's not (laughs) they've been in our room and so when we got home i was like okay time to splurge for the fancy litter box so i buy the litter robot open air 500 dollars, fancy spaceship looking motherfucker the death star the death star that self-cleans motion detected gorgeous i put it in it looks like it's working i see at least one of my cats use it and i'm like the only problem before you explain what happened (laughs) is that uh when it self-cleans it basically opens its big robot terrifying mouth and then spins its head 360 around and just goes ah! <laughs> and it scares me it's also so bright imagine imagine that being that same thing but three times your size relative to you you know what i mean a toilet that you have to walk <laughs> a toilet into. that you have to climb into that screams and spins its head around Anyways, nightmare fuel. So I buy the, I buy the fancy you litter buy box. The nightmare five thousand. I buy the nightmare five thousand. I see pancake use it. I'm like, sweet. I get rid of the other litter box, and then I come inside of the bedroom, and there is just shit and piss all over our bed. Yeah, the like cats are rebelling. The Dumb and Dumber scene. So what I learned, what I come to find, is that the way it has <laughs> unfolded pancake now exclusively uses the litter robot and ophelia now exclusively uses the other litter box which means that i ended up having two litter boxes in our room instead of one and i'm stuck with them forever yep so that's basically why we bought a house <laughs> yeah and that's why we don't have sex because whenever we are yeah, about no. to have sex one of the cats takes a dump at one of the peak moments uh not only would i'm pretty sure it was all ophelia but not only would Ophelia um, shit and piss directly on our bed, like we would leave and she would be like, okay, well now the place that you sleep, I'm going to go explode in. The people at the laundromat are like, your dog is not okay. The last time I picked it up, uh, I picked up the comforter, which is $100 every time the woman just looked at me and she's so nice, but she was just like, good luck with your dog. I was like, it's like a tiny evil horrible cat um not okay so not only would she just uh like okay so the drum beat the baseline of her like malevolence was <laughs> being and pooping all over the bed the crazy guitar the solo <laughs> the crazy guitar solo riff that she went on was when the little comforter that we set up underneath the bed so that they could have a cave she just got there and shed as much hair as she could pooped on the pile of it and then rubbed her paws around it and made basically just like a crazy like brick like material paste and then just like oh my god crying. just left it there and so we came in and we were like is it in the bed is we, we the- smelled it but we couldn't yeah, find and, it and then like we both made eye contact as we realized at the same time that it was under the bed and so then i climbed under and pulled it out and like Oh my god, just a bird's nest made of shit. <laughs> it was so gross. <sighs> oh my god, okay. So my low has been sharing a litter box with my where I sleep. You poop in it too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, also that you know the sex thing, it sucks. And it sucks for me. Like I don't feel sexual. And this is something we've talked about. Like I 
my sexuality is very much like up and down yeah honestly like there are periods where i want to have sex all the time and then there are periods where i don't but it's really i think more weird for me than for you to be here we are living in the room i like spent my adolescent years there's a poster on the door that caroline designed when she was seven that says caroline's room and it has a pony with like tree trunk legs (laughs) and we both look at that every time we enter our now marital bed so yeah so and that's that's hard like i it's hard for me the idea of like anyone in our family listening to us having sex even accidentally gives me a panic attack like my bedroom is right over our kitchen like there are certain things where i just think not that anyone in my family would be like surprised that we have sex but there's a certain respect element that i i think that i over analyze of my parents have been so gracious as to let us live here rent free which has allowed us to like finally start saving money for the first time in our relationship to make big decisions and I don't know I think there's a part of me that's like this is so rude to do like they're gonna know or you know and I think that's like a lot of Catholic guilt coming out or something but it's really hard for me like and I've been honestly like I've been making a huge effort in the last three weeks to try to have sex frequently I've noticed yeah and I love it but like it is it is something I have to think about it is not something that right now when I'm like going to Dunkin Donuts with my mom and I walk back into the house and you're like you want to get jiggy jiggy I'm not like yeah I've been thinking about it while discussing different homes with my mother like I'm just and that is another thing that is both a high and a low for me is that when we came home we quarantined in your dad's cottage like his little there's like like a tiny little house in his backyard Mm -hmm. and then we've been living with my parents ever since and it's one house like we're not separate from them we share meals we have every meal with them we do My everything with them shocked yeah like there's no separation here we don't have like a carriage house somewhere like we live in a three-bedroom home with my parents mm-hmm. and my parents worship you but they also don't ask much of you like my mom asks that you load and unload the dishwasher but like Which i was have a pretty great deal to strike right. at the beginning like i, I but, feel like i had uh i got in with like a really low like yeah, price yeah yeah, yeah. But by nature of the fact that this is my family, like my sister and her baby have been living with us. My mom wants to do things with me. So throughout the day, my day is sucked up by tiny little 45 minute things and I want to do all of them. So it's not a low, but it is, it changes my emotional um, exchanges and it changes what I am willing to give to you when I don't want to. You know what I mean? Like when you're like, can we have sex? Maybe in another scenario. In some scenarios, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. But in other scenarios, I'm like, fuck you, no. I want to have, like, three minutes to myself. And then I want to, like, sit with you by the pool. Like, I don't want to do anything else. I feel like I'm not describing this right. No, but it's, just, I think you're just... I mean, maybe, yeah. I, maybe I, I'm understanding it because I... It's just hard. It you, but I understand it. And I, and I feel so cognizant of the fact that you and I lived in California for three years. And we were so happy. And a part of me realizes... Coming home made me realize even more how possible it will be for us to leave because I think I've had more distance and time to really think about what it would mean to live apart and how much I've loved living in another area. Um, and it makes me feel really paranoidly conscious of the time that we have at home. Like yeah. as long as we're at home with my family, we live in the middle of nowhere. We're going to spend all of our time with our families because what the fuck else should we be doing here yeah. than spending time with our families? Yeah. You know, I um, just to that point specifically about being able to leave. I think I've, and I've voiced this to you. I think I've um, felt the push in both directions where yesterday I was like doing, I was like tinkering with something on the Airstream 
and I was like, why do I feel like such a like nerdy dad all the time? And I was like, oh, because I'm either working, hanging out with you and like my in-laws, mm-hmm. or I'm thinking about like woodworking and electrical and plumbing. Mm-hmm. Like gone are the concerts, gone are the food stands, right. gone are the museums, like the pop-up things, the clubs, right. the bars, or whatever. Um, and I'm I'm loving my life, but I am by no means as ready to like go find a barn in Virginia and like set up shop and like yeah. live the rest of my life like I thought I was. Yeah. I was I was like I have everything I need. Like I love my wife. I like have a bunch of projects, and if I can just have those two things, like that's awesome. Um. And, I and need, it's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough. No, but like I, uh, I need fuel. Like yeah. and you need fuel too. Like we talk about that. Like you need cultural fuel to feel interesting, to be interesting. At least at this point in our lives. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so there's there is one part of me that is like, definitely go, 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 go as soon as you can. Like not run out the door, but like when you have the opportunity to, when the airstream is done, or, and or you know when the when the pandemic goes away, like whatever. Go find yourself a cultural hub and and go experience that again before you go do the farm or whatever. On the other side of things, um, your sister has an eight month old baby and has spent the summer here. Fuck, is he cute? Holy shit! <laughs> Riley and Brody are in love with one another. Yeah, we're gonna. I, I say this all the time. We're gonna get a place together after all this is over. <laughs> and by all this, I mean both of our lives. <laughs> when I'm uh, eighty and he's fifty, that's gonna be an awesome dude check. I have something to say on that. All I was going to say really quickly was that seeing them here um, has made me less confident in the vision of you and I completely by ourselves, thousands of miles away from either of our parents. Yeah, it takes a village. Raising a child because I like the vision of communal care more obviously but like in the past i was like we can do it well i think you've probably gotten a better perspective of like what it means to be able to have an extra set of hands to hold the baby for 15 seconds yeah and how that can actually transform your day being able to just be like can someone watch him for an hour okay great that means that i can do this if not it's just us and maybe not not every single day where we're living together or whatever but if that's like short bursts like you know every weekend or every other weekend or you know like they come for a week or whatever like that's so much easier when you are relatively close and so by no means does this mean that i want to live in like the house that we just bought in Paynarum for the rest of my life but it does kind of then run at odds with the run away go find culture right and like think more seriously about how you could potentially be closer to your nuclear family and extended family uh because you want to have children soon so right i don't know what was your thing that you were gonna say oh i was just gonna say i mean i think the only thing that i think i mean there's nothing really about the pandemic we can say that's very interesting except i would say for this which is that it's changed our conversations around kids which has been really interesting and gratifying to talk about and it's something that we started talking about maybe only seriously a week ago is that or at least my perspective was that when we have talked about families we've talked about them very much in the abstract of like we both think we want a family i'm still very scared about the idea of being a mother but it was something that we kind of had this vision of like well we'll live we'll live in one more place before that happens or we will do we need to travel internationally before that happens or we had this kind of stopgap in our mind of all the things that would take place in the next two to three years of well we'll do all those things and then we'll still be relatively young we'll be in our early 30s then we'll have kids and the pandemic has changed everything in a really interesting way where 
all those things that we wanted to do are kind of um, out of the window or at best in limbo. Like even if you were to get a new job or even if, you know, we were to want to do something, we would be remote. So it's this kind of interesting thing where we've started, I've started kind of saying like, okay, well, you know, devil's advocate, what if we have kids now while the world is shut down? And then we kind of like re reassess what our plan is because right now, I don't want to say that we have dead space because we're doing so much stuff, but more so that the, the the reasons I had in my head for our timeline are gone. And with those gone, I'm now like, why wouldn't we have kids? My fears about being a mother, they're never going to change until we have kids, you know, like, or if, they, or they're never going to change no matter what. So I just have to decide if I want to have kids or not. Like there's, I don't think, I think waiting for the moment where you are suddenly ready to have a child before you have a child is kind of a fool's errand for a lot of people. And the more that I've grown up and that other women have given their honest, like opinions to me about motherhood, the more that I've come to believe that it's like, yeah, you're never going to be fucking prepared. Your life will never be like what it was. You just have to decide if you want a family or not. And there was this one book I was reading where someone said, having children is like taking piano lessons when you're little. No one wants to do it, but no one ever regrets having done it. And I don't think that that's totally true, but I thought that that was an interesting thing where it's like, of course I can't visualize the idea of writing and having kids. Because right now I'm writing without kids. Mm -hmm. That's the one aspect of the pandemic that I have found really interesting in regards to our relationship is that it is totally, along with my sister's baby, who's fucking adorable, it's just totally upended my my perspective of our time schedule. Like if you and I were still in Los Angeles and the world was okay, I wouldn't even be considering having this conversation. But we moved home and we were with a baby and we've also seen like all of our best laid plans go up in smoke and we've seen like friends lose jobs and we've had like a lot of fears about what's going to happen with everything and I think that kind of in the best case scenario forces you to reassess what's most important and my thought is we're healthy and we love each other so I'm almost kind of like re-asking myself what, what am I waiting for I'm 27 which is young but also in the grand scheme of humanity is pretty fucking old mm-hmm. like that's another thing where it's like I have no idea what my fertility is So the idea of me just continuing to wait to even start trying because of some principle that I established back in the the old world, it feels like worthy of reassessing. And so that's been fun to talk about with you. It's been like these we've the last week have been our first conversations about like, do we actually want to have a baby? Like, would we have a baby next year? Would we want to get pregnant in two years? Like. This is the first time that we've talked about it. And I think it's come as a surprise to both of us. Yeah. The timeline of it is really interesting in the sense that you think, oh, next year is, um, you know, right there. And oh, my God, like it's coming. It's coming. But then all of a sudden it's like, well, we got married, uh, you know, about a year ago. And that feels like now a relatively long time ago. I don't know. So it just time is always a weird thing. Time in the context of preparedness is an even weirder thing in my mind you know what i mean because how prepared we are to have kids isn't just a function of wait one year and then you will be uh you will have 10 more preparedness uh, if if anything you wait longer and you become more resistant to the idea of someone fucking up your life it's another thing i've thought about is like what if i what if the more time that i spend being like gorgeously selfish is more time that scares me about having kids i would say um not a, not a conversation in the abstract, like a, a real conversation about when you and I have kids. I agree. I think COVID has accelerated my view of that timeline. 
COVID has accelerated my view of that timeline. I do think that we are so directly, we could not be more in the middle of things or on the cusp of getting over certain humps and then Mm. knowing more. Meaning we just bought the house and we're going to want to do stuff to it. I'm up to my eyeballs in this Airstream project, (laughs) but am like very close to hitting another milestone, getting over a hump and like being, you know, a good deal closer to being done with it. We both have professional aspirations. We both have professional aspirations. And like for you specifically, you are, you are very close to a milestone yourself. Like you have some, you know what I mean? Like whether it's, and I, and I'm not, I'm not like cursing whatever you're doing, but I'm just saying you have something out there. You have something that is like at least within yeah. a stone's throw of some kind of finish line. And so to me, it's not to say, let's not talk about it at all because we have like a bunch of balls in the air. Because I do think all of a sudden it is now a thing that you and I can talk in a more real sense about. You and I have had more tangible financial planning in the last three months than we ever have in our entire life. Yeah, we. this has been the first time that we have had consistently more money in the bank than money on credit cards. Yeah, it's awesome. It's and I say that candidly because I feel like it's important to talk about that. Yeah, no, I mean, we uh, have been kind of dumbasses with money in the past. <laughs> But kind of by necessity, I don't know. No, kind of just dumb. No, yeah, yeah. Who am I? What am I? What am I yeah, I, I'm not gonna. I can't allow that. Sugarfish is not a necessity. <laughs> yeah, I. We've been love, living beyond our means. That's what we've been doing. I would love to go back and listen to a conversation <laughs> where you and I talk about financials, and we're like, but like sugarfish occasionally, sugarfish once a week. <laughs> oh, I miss sugarfish. I don't regret a single time we Me spent too. at sugarfish. Anyway, yeah, we're finally being less dumbasses and almost exclusively by the privilege of having a free place to stay. Yeah. But my point is that we've had more tangible financial conversations. And when you're in the middle of nowhere, you know. Yeah, you're not going to buy a bunch of stuff. But my point is, like, I think now we could now start to continue those conversations and keep our nose to the grindstone and set ourselves up to be more ready to have kids, even if we're not saying we're now sprinting toward having kids in six months. Yeah. Like, I don't think we need to be actively trying to have a child to plan to have a child. Yeah. Um, and it could also be that my newfound interest in potentially having a baby doesn't have to do with um, the what has been denied of me in the pandemic and has everything to do with like the uncertainty that the pandemic has created for everyone and a desire for me to feel like I'm in, still in control. So mm. maybe that's it too. Mm. It's like a more negative spin, but... But yeah, I would just love to um, have us reevaluate the conversation once we're over the hump on a couple of these things. Because I think we're going to have, I think our baby preparedness uh, score is going to change drastically (laughs) in the next, um, you know, four months. Yeah. A lot of stuff's going to happen. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the house quick? Yeah. We own a house. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, as the adage goes, cheapest house in the nicest neighborhood. Basically, we maybe the third time that Ophelia took a dump on our bed, I started thinking like, okay, Riley's going to be remote for at least the next few months. I'm remote forever. We do not have a long term game plan and we need to find a place because like this is not we can't keep going like this. Like it's just I think we're reaching. We've had a great we have lived pretty much harmoniously with my parents, which has been awesome but it's just it's a lot like not having your own space and it's a lot having two cats in one room and so I looked at apartments in the area and even in this kind of rural area of Massachusetts everything was over two thousand dollars a month that was when I kind of thought like okay maybe we could buy a house both from our savings and from money that we got from our wedding full disclosure 
So we looked, I mean, we found a house that was like the only house under $400,000 in our neighborhood. And we kind of had a few arguments about it at first because I think it was, it happened very quickly and it was kind of, I don't know. It was kind of terrifying. I think for me at first too, just the idea of being like us moving home and agreeing that we were not going to settle down in Payton Arum. And all of a sudden it was like, we're buying a house in Payton Arum. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? We have never wanted to live in South coast, Massachusetts. Like, are we about to live here for the rest of our lives? And I've been really excited about it because long story short, we put in an offer and someone else got it and then they backed out and we got it. It's been really fucking exciting to feel like we're making a smart decision. So basically we have a house and we're going to live in it until the next thing comes up. And then we're going to try to rent it out and see what we can do with it as a rental property. And it's made me really excited to go through financials with you and to like talk about mortgage rates and to, this is the first time in our relationship, let alone our marriage where you and I have made a thoughtful, smart financial decision. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Like, I think everything else has been us kind of living the way that we want with no recognition of what we should be doing. And this is the first time that we've literally put our money where our mouth is and been like, this is the smart thing to do rather than renting for like a year in New Bedford. We're going to buy a house and then rent it out. That excites me. The idea of like building wealth or whatever, like not just pissing money away on rent excites me having some kind of uh, anchor in my financial planning that forces decision making mm-hmm. is an absolute necessity for me I've realized and having a mortgage is a great way to do that like you mean having something that you have to save for yeah yeah because otherwise it's just like well there's money there so let's go to dinner or right. whatever right you know? yeah um, so I think that's really exciting to me and the idea that it is ultimately going to become a rental makes it like less stressful and more fun in a way because it's a project it's not us making these huge decisions on trying to like predict what our future life will be and then building a physical structure to reflect that yeah but instead just thinking what do we want to do like what uh inspires and excites us and what's smart from a rental perspective like it's much more there's more math involved in it and there's still emotion involved in it. I'm still excited to live there and all that stuff. But the fact that it is a project in a financial sense, in like a uh, home improvement sense, just makes it easier for me to swallow, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I'm super excited about it. The thing that we have been talking about too, as it pertains to the house. Our mortgage rate is 2.8%. Caroline's so (laughs) stoked about our mortgage rate and tells everyone about it. It makes me feel so grown up. Adults. Yeah. Like I feel, I've never felt hotter than when I say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We have a great mortgage. It's awesome. Sick. That's locked in 30 years. That's fixed. Fixed rate. 360 months on a document. Mm -hmm. I was like. You know what's crazy that no one talks about is how much interest accrues in a mortgage. Our interest, we have like a relatively small mortgage, all things considered. It's like Mm -hmm. 300,000 around. It is going to accrue something like $150,000 in interest over 30 years. That's fucking crazy. Money's expensive. It's crazy. Yeah. So that's all. Just me talking about things that I understand now. I'm proud of you. Yeah. But related to the house... It's the timing of it is really interesting that you and I are buying a house while we both sprinted through Richard Rothstein's Color of Law. Yeah. Because that book has fundamentally changed my understanding of how racism works. Yeah. And like the conversations around 
like reparations and like literally racial justice, how to how to right, right wrongs in society, and how misguided the focal point of the Civil War is in talking about racism, as yeah. if that was where racism has ended, and we're just literally still dealing with the repercussions of it. It's like no willful racist policies have been enacted ever since. Yeah, and so the thrust of the book is like everyone understands the idea of de facto racial segregation. We're like, hmm, like white people gathered over there and black people gathered over there because both kinds of people like being with people like them and like that's the lie that we tell ourselves when in actuality like de jure segregation like actual explicitly racist federal housing policies have led to segregation right led to the disenfranchisement of black people right like and i'm talking about federal laws in action up until almost like the 70s up until now no up until up until now like and and that's that's a great clarification like there were explicitly racist housing pieces of legislation in action up until that period of time but then basically every piece of regulation afterward that has not addressed that just kind of perpetuates and cements and solidifies the status quo that those laws have created and it's like for and and if you follow me on instagram like sorry you're getting a double hit of this for sure but like the idea that veterans, uh, veteran, veteran loans that were given out after World War II to help vets come back and mm-hmm. establish themselves in, in culture that were given to white people, white vets, and not to black vets means that black vets then continue to rent, white vets buy a home. Mm-hmm. Those white vets then stop paying rent, stop pissing away their money, right. and Save build money. wealth. Yep. And that ex- exponentially divides a wealth gap on top of all the other factors of. Then, and this is just one part of this, this is right. a, a, a synecdoche or like a microcosm of the whole thing. Those black vets then have much more limited options in terms of rentals. They get forced into public housing. They get forced right. into industrial zones, et cetera. Right. Which then lead to health And they're still dealing with discriminatory landlords, communities that won't let black people buy houses. So exactly. their options are literally none. Exactly. Limited access to education, limited access to jobs, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. So the, uh, the timing of reading that book and being confronted with the idea that it's not just oh there's lasting effects of slavery but like literally like actually systemic racism truly does exist mm. and one of the most direct and massive and harmful forms that it presents itself in is housing regulation mm-hmm. as i'm buying a home and as we went through a seamless mortgage application oh yeah. like you have an 800 credit score you have no ticks against you. You're employed. You're a white male. We were so quickly, we were approved for a loan faster than our realtor said that anyone has been. In like like we were, hours, yeah. Yeah, we were approved so quickly um, for a bigger loan than what we got. But, and it was just seamless. But that said, the process of buying a home, I had my hand held and I was still, I still felt a bit like I was on a roller coaster that had one wheel on the track. Right. And so... I don't know. The idea that that has historically and continues to today to be a way that systemic racism, like one of the primary ways that systemic racism rears its head in society. And the fact that just in general, buying a home is a clusterfuck. Mm -hmm. You and I have talked about the idea of basically taking our our mortgage that we commit to paying, you know, on a monthly basis for effectively the rest of our life, but 36, 360 months. Mm hmm. And baking into, as a part of our mortgage, a monthly donation. I've been pitching either the NAACP Legal Defense Fund or the Urban Development League. And the the reason why is, like, 
it's it's hard for me to figure out it's hard for me to figure out why I'm why I'm doing that you know like I th- in my mind the story that I tell myself is donating money or focusing on causes that are personal and relevant to you just helps you continue to commit to those causes mm-hmm. like I don't I, what I what I'm trying to rationalize for myself is like am I effectively doing the uh, corporations buying carbon emissions tax credits or whatever and not actually changing something but just making myself feel better about the thing or are we being overly performative or like ally cookie e by being like we bought this house because we are the beneficiaries of generational wealth we're gonna throw 50 bucks a month towards people who are not the beneficiaries of generational wealth and almost using it as like a pat on the back yeah you know like we're talking about it here we're gonna talk about it on social media but so I guess, we're getting little ups for it but my point is like if we do this thing the reason why i like it is because it is it's it's a tight package for like impact it's a salient idea mm-hmm. of if you have a mortgage tack on money to that mortgage and mm-hmm. donate it to one of these causes the reason that i want to share it is because all of my friends are about to start buying homes right and i would love it if all of my friends did that too right and sure there's a chance that they come across this on their own or i could text them all individually when they buy their houses by the right. time i text them about it it's probably too late what like i guess my point is like the risk of feeling like I am doing something performative, I feel like is outweighed by the possibility that someone else also chooses to donate. Well, and I think too, you're getting at the, the, the negatives of how social justice is carried out on social media, which is that you worry about saying something or doing something and coming off as performative or coming off as inauthentic or saying like, well, I didn't care about this five months ago. So who am I to care about it now? When in reality, it doesn't fucking matter what like five people say about you in your comments. What matters is that you're doing it and that it's one of many, it's one of a many pronged effort that you're making to change the way that people change the way that equity works in our country so it's like i think at the end of the day the answer to my question about like what happens if someone's performative is it doesn't fucking matter you're donating and that's what's awesome is that at the end of the day you set up a donation and it's one of many ways that you are going to change your um involvement financially um vocally like the fact that you're talking about it online better than not talking about it and all these different things And that's the super important part. And that can often be ignored by like the fight for who is the smartest on social media. And I think that particularly as two privileged white people who are bound to get things wrong from time to time, what we need to do is not be afraid of getting called out and to just be like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like I'm going to donate to this and I'm going to tell other people to donate. And if someone calls me out, I'm going to think about it and like listen to what they're saying. And then I'm going to decide how I'm going to iterate. But what we can't do, and this is kind of how I feel about the podcast too, like it's super important to listen, but white people cannot just listen. Like you have to say something and you have to keep talking about stuff and you have to go back to normal, quote unquote, and drag all this shit with it and like change your normal. And that means posting about this on social media and being like, we bought a house. Here's what we're going to do in addition to our mortgage. We're restarting our podcast. Here is how we're going to involve our conversations with one another about like confronting systemic racism. And I think that's part of it. It's like, yeah, it's great that you're listening. If you all just listen and no white people speak up, nothing is going to change. So it's kind of like, well, it doesn't fucking matter if someone doesn't like that. We're doing that. Honestly, it doesn't matter if it comes off as performative. What matters is we're doing it. I think, uh, and I could be wrong. There's definitely people who have written in depth about this and know more about it than I do. I feel like part of an antidote to 
performative allyship is consistency. Right. And so even if it seems like something that I'm talking about, and even if I frankly do get a pat on the back about it, if you do it and then it's not the last time that you do it because you got the attaboy and you felt good about yourself and then you stopped because racial justice is done for you. Right. I think doing it and then doing something again and then doing something again is the is the the difference right so anyway yeah if you're buying a home consider either of those two organizations if you know more than i do about that and you have a suggestion please reach out the reason that i've been talking about uh naacp ldf and urban development league is because there's a part of this that has to be solved on a federal level where we're figuring out restorative measures ways to redistribute wealth and create anti-racist housing policies and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund pushes on that on a federal level, prepares mm-hmm. cases that they take to the Supreme Court mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. The Urban Development League, as far as I know, is also involved in those kind of high-level legal negotiations, but also have on-the-ground programs like counseling and tutoring for black families who are buying a house for the first time. Between those two, we'd been having conversations before we went through the process, and now that we've gone through the process and it was candidly fraught with moments where things could have gone horribly wrong right had we not had an incredible community of people helping us yeah um, or where little costs of a few thousand dollars were casually brought up as if they that would matter yeah as if we of course we would have that yeah you know oh and by the way your closing costs like, right yeah. by the way these things that that do matter to us a lot because we don't have a lot of wiggle room yeah um so in that sense the urban development league just stands out to me as a great place to support and uh i think is operating on both of those levels operating yeah. on both of those tiers and i think both are important um so if you're buying a house consider that yeah i'm glad we're doing this again yeah how does it feel it feels good i like hearing my own voice i'm a massive narcissist <laughs> and i like talking to you so this is uh and i like drinking wine you were more reluctant than i was to to do this today yeah do you feel the same way or do you feel better do you feel i'm not trying to like put you in the spotlight i'm just curious no, I mean, I think I still feel trepidation about the idea of announcing that there's been enough time. Yeah. And, um... But what is the alternative? I mean, the alternative is permanently retiring this project and quietly operating in the background. And Do you... Well, do you think that that's... Do you think that there's an argument for that? I think that there's an argument for that, for sure. At the same time, I like to think that this is an important project because of what we've heard from other people who are navigating similar circumstances. I would like to think that for myself, I have enough space within me to give 100% of myself to many causes mm. and to support multiple things and explore multiple avenues, which sounds convenient. I don't know. So I do, I do struggle with it. I think for the reasons that I said at the beginning, I feel better about this now, uh, thinking about this as a yes and of we can talk about these relationship struggles and we can use this as a platform to hopefully, you know, bring other people along and bring other people in and on, on specific issues of racial justice. So, yeah, this podcast is not apolitical. like any conversations around gender or marriage equity is a political act and racial justice is incredibly important. Women's rights are incredibly important. It's not one-to-one, but like having a, our podcast was formed because we were really interested in the idea of an equitable marriage and in exploring that and talking about that. And that is a political act. Like you and I talking and being public about the efforts we are making to have a more equitable marriage are important. And I think, 
I mean, I fully agree with you. There's a part of me that's like, damn, when does, when does listening period end? But I think that that was, I don't, I don't like that that was my approach. I think it's like, yeah, you have to listen. And then you also have to engage in your life and you have to carry on your new thoughts. Like, engage is a good word. Yeah. Like racial, a renewed focus on racial justice has changed also my own perspectives of the way that I think about women's rights and the way that I think about the fight for reproductive um, access and a lot of other things that are happening. And in particular, I've told you this, like you having a podcast and talking about your marriage is a very revolutionary act. Like most white men have no interest or, or for whatever reason, whether it's no interest or fear or whatever, like you talking about this and us talking about our marriage, I really think it's like deeply political and I, I think you're right that in the grand scheme of what's happening right now, this is not the, the, the thing that has the highest stakes, but this is important to me. It really is. And I think that we have taken three months, over three months at this point to really, um, like have a sabbatical and to rethink everything. And for me, after three months, it felt just as important, um, and I think that's the thing is that like all of these things, racial justice and environmental justice and reproductive justice, like a lot of these things, it's not that they are all equally important at any given time, but they all intersect and it's all about systems of power. Yep. And it's really important to me as a woman who got married early that I continue to um, be really introspective about my role in a marriage because I never planned on being married this early. And it's like, I think it's super fucking important that if we have kids, we make it very clear to them that this is an equitable marriage. And this one of these, like, if we were to kill this project in the name of like doing more racial justice quietly and working on the airstream, I would be like, well, we just killed the one that's related to our marriage. That's bullshit, you know? So that's kind of where I stand on this is like, yes, this is kind of frivolous and it's fun. This is also really fucking serious. And this is like a hugely vulnerable thing that we have done and that we've gotten a lot of feedback from other people about, about saying essentially, wow, I never get to hear this. No one ever talks about marriage. Yeah. And so I don't want us to undercut the value of this for us and for what we choose to put out into the world simply because someone could argue that it's frivolous. Cause that's often the claim that people make that's gendered about like chick flicks or about things that are related to, to women. That it's like, oh, it's frivolous. Like, it's silly. It's not important compared to other things. And it's like, no, this is really important. This is us navigating our marriage. It's navigating sex. It's navigating race. It's navigating a lot of things that you and I are going to have to grow with one another over. Mm -hmm. And I'm sad, honestly, that we haven't been recording. Like, so much shit has happened in our life. And I'm like, damn, I want to start recording again. Like, I love our conversations that we've held on to. Me too. And we've missed so much. Yeah. And as much as we haven't missed it because we've been there, we're going to forget a lot of it. And we wouldn't have if we recorded each week. So yeah. to me, it's also for us. Like, I want us to be keeping track of everything. I agree. I think the uh, place that I land on it is that if we are going to be, you know, making noise about stuff that's not related to racial justice, um, I think all that requires from from me to, like, for myself to feel okay about it is an equal an opposite not an opposite but like an equal response of like a doubling of my attention effort and uh focus on racial justice as well right so it's a yes and for me and i i like the idea of the like 
energy that I put out into the world being regenerative in that sense, where it's not like I have, you know, some fixed amount of energy that I can devote to these causes or attention that I can pay to these things. Um, it's that I can combine them and hopefully like create bigger things because of it. It's the Beyonce right. model. You right. Know? Um, so yeah, no, I, I yeah, no, I, f- I, f- I feel good. Cool. We're like done, solved. <laughs> Narrator, they would never talk about racial justice again. Next time, <laughs> racial justice. Um. Oh, what did you learn? The, In the last, last four months. months um, about what did I learn? Um. This is maybe kind of fucked up, but like you and I have had. I have learned that there are certain points where it's okay to walk away. It's okay for me not always to say everything I'm thinking and it's okay for us to walk away in a disagreement sometimes. Like we had a big argument when we first were talking about buying the house about, um, fuck, I just forgot. (laughs) Must not have been a big argument. Wait. Oh, it was about how I said pretty brutishly that we finish arguments because I push us to and that you walk away, Yeah, which is not accurate, but which is how I felt and which is still sometimes how I feel and is not, I'm not saying it's accurate, but like we had, we've had some arguments about that kind of thing. And I think I've realized that like, I have this impulse to solve everything in a way that's very not helpful and can often be unfair because it doesn't take into consideration your feelings for like, okay, well maybe you don't want to be having this argument right now, or maybe this isn't, maybe we are not entering this argument equally. And I think that living with my parents has made us, has forced us to be more patient about the arguments that we have because we don't have the luxury of getting in a screaming fight in the kitchen and solving it and sitting down for three hours and moving through everything. Like there are points where you and I have a moment of tension and we just kind of have to grin and bear it and let it roll off our shoulders because we're surrounded by family. I did yell, uh, fuck off, and then leave the kitchen one time when everyone was home. You did, and I didn't love that. I know. It wasn't good. But in it, for the most part, it's not that this is what I want to do now, but it has been a learning experience that there is nothing wrong with occasionally getting in a small disagreement and moving on from it. And like not necessarily having a debrief. And that's part of the interesting part of marriage is figuring out which arguments require a debrief and which ones are like, okay, you're hungry and I'm tired and we just passed each other. And it's, there's nothing to analyze. Like it's just two people living together. You are bound to sometimes cross wires. So that's kind of been something I've, I feel like I've learned more is that. That's cool. Not all arguments require, um, a conversation sometimes you just have to like take a deep breath and just smile at each other and, and like let each other know that it's fine like we're not going to hold that against one another what do you think your criteria are for arguments that we debrief on and those that we don't like to me it would be is there a, a potential for a growth is there a growth opportunity can we debrief and like learn something about each other or about ourselves from the argument that we just got in or number two um are someone's feelings hurt? Is someone owed an apology? But mm. otherwise, I think if we both kind of look at something and we go, both of us missed lunch. Yeah. And we just kind of move on, then whatever. Yeah. I mean, the imperfect answer that I would add is that 
there are certain arguments we have which are tied to pressure points that you and I have identified. Like us, we had an argument about the house. That was a pressure point that we've had of like us not wanting to get stuck in paid narrow. So it was like, okay, we need to talk about this because this is an ongoing pressure point. Like pressure point, me being sensitive to you saying I'm messy. Like that's a thing that we have to acknowledge because that can really explode. Mm -hmm. And then there are other quick tiffs we have that I can't directly tie to a pressure point or like an ongoing frustration. And those are the moments where I've tried to be like, okay, I shouldn't overanalyze this. Like Riley was short with me just now, or I was short with him. And like, this does not have to turn into something big. We have five hours ahead of us of being with family on the boat. Like I can choose at this moment to be like, oof, tense moment. Like let's go get sandwiches. And we can at points kind of re restart. Mm -hmm. And it's, there have been moments where it's been like, Ooh, teetering towards getting into an argument. And then both of us kind of look at each other and are like, Ooh, we don't want that actually. We don't want to get like, we don't have anything to get in a fight over right now. So let's take a quick left turn. Yeah. And that's been fun to see. And we've just never had that. um, We've never been in a position where we can't get in a fight or feel comfortable getting in a fight. So it's almost like healthy pressure from our family to really decide what is worth getting into an argument over and what is like hot air pressurized. That's not necessarily tied to anything. I wonder what direction children will work in, in that sense. The unhealthy one. Well, I think in a positive way, in like the best case scenario, they might work in the healthy one where it's like, we got a lot of stuff to do. We got to focus on, you know, a lot of like the kids and this and that and whatever. Mm -hmm. So let's choose. Let's choose like the things we want to get in a fight about. We don't want to have our children see us constantly fighting. We don't want to have them see us never fight. Right. I don't know. Um, well, I kind of hope we're going to also grow more patient with one another. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, like a lot of the fights that we've had have been also us getting to know one another. Like our Kevin Hart fight was like us just kind of like getting to know each other, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. And then other fights are, I think I mentioned this. Oh, this is probably one of the conversations that I'm going to save that. Okay. To be continued. What have I learned? Thanks for asking. <laughs> What have you learned? You've learned a lot about my family. I was actually just thinking that. I don't know. I think it's going to be hard to do a learning on four months without sounding like a fucking fortune cookie. Yeah. I, I actually think I have... I think the patience thing is huge that you were talking about over the last few months. Like, I think we have developed more of a patience muscle for each other because we have had to have more of a patience muscle... Or our roommates yeah you know i think that's a good thing and when you're more patient with your partner your partner is that much more likely to take advantage of the space to tell you why they're upset so that's another thing oh, is like brain blast that's good like when like i think that that's another thing like the other day i can't remember what precipitated it you basically walked or in the airstream you basically said on um apropos of nothing that you were sorry for being tense with me over the last few days. And we had had a few moments that could have turned into fights and I didn't do anything. And not to say I'm a martyr or like a saint, but it was a moment that I felt like I had gotten a reward where it was like, Ooh, I behaved in a way that allowed Riley to process this on his own. And then we got to this without having to do a screaming fight. And that was an awesome moment for me because I had been feeling kind of confused and it was really exciting for you to just say like, Hey, 
I've been feeling really tense lately and I feel like that's affected me and I'm sorry. And it was fucking awesome. And that's something that we haven't given each other previously because I think we've had such a focus on like solve it, solve it, solve it. And it's been cool to be like, okay, if I just like stay quiet here, I'm giving my partner space to either bring something up or if they're not ready to bring it up, it's like, it's like a, a, it's a higher trust than we've had in one another because it requires Mm self-awareness and it's kind of like, okay, I think that you're aware that you're upset. I'm going to be quiet now and you're hopefully going to tell me why you're upset. And then if that doesn't work, obviously the trust breaks down. But when you did that the other day, it was like, oh my God, so cool. Like I trusted you and you trusted me. And like, we got, we got to the conclusion without having the conflict. Yeah. And that was really cool. Yeah. No, it felt good yeah. on my side too. Um, I guess I'll go hyper specific then back to our sex conversation. Um, something I've learned about how you and I stay in love is that for me and for us navigating our sex life at least on my side has a lot to do with like expectation management Mm -hmm. in the sense that (laughs) you're um, like five people (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm like as many as possible five people okay one sauna why did i just say the same thing again it's embarrassing (laughs) Um, no, in the sense that, uh, unless we say otherwise, uh, my default, uh, like my base thought is that like, there's always a chance you could always, uh, you know, play your cards. (laughs) Crazier things have happened. (laughs) Crazier things have happened. Um, and I don't know, like a couple weeks, I mean, like your, your learning was like very profound and deep and mine is literally just about banging, but (laughs) like. Mix and pudding. It makes some pudding. <laughs> oh, that's in the world now. Um, last month, you were basically just like, I'm not going to feel good for six days. And we're not going to have sex for six days. And I was like, awesome. That's clarity. That's good. That's yeah. great. And so then uh, I just leaned way into other love languages and was like, time to snuggle a lot. Time <laughs> to do whatever. And there was no... Um, there was no lack of clarity. Yeah. That was a double negative. There was lots of clarity. Um, so I don't know. Like, it sounds trivial, but sex and our sex life has been a constant thing that we are trying to negotiate. Yeah. Um, and that has really helped. And, like, maybe that means that on my side, sometimes it's less about asking Hey, do you want to have sex right now? Mm. But more so just like trying to either pick up on or directly ask about kind of like how everyone's feeling. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. What kind of uh, period of our life are we in? Like having a more macro view of our sex life rather than on the day to day, like what's the blocking and tackling and you know whatever that could maybe get enough people out of the house for long enough. And that's a great way to ask me without me feeling backed into a corner. Yeah, because there's no expectation of, well, are we going to do it right now? Right. But more so just, like, how how are we feeling overall? Yeah. Uh, because then that that gets ahead of, like, four other things that lead to me eventually asking, do you want to have sex? Um, because by the time that you and I are actually, like, trying to figure out whether we're going to have sex or not, that train's been rolling in my head for a <laughs> while, you know? And so, and so I just He's think so cute. So I just think getting around that uh, kind of just happened naturally, um, but it's 
it's helped me a lot. And then like in the future, like maybe we go through a period of time where we're just like, you know what? Now is not the time. And peaks and valleys. And then we have like right. another phase where, you know, we have a super healthy sex life and yeah. whatever else. So. Well, it's always, I think it can be healthy even when it's not happening. Yeah. Wow. That's, you are really locked in <laughs> on you. the profound thoughts. <laughs> Goddamn. Yeah, you know. Okay, we want to talk for two you. hours, should we? Yeah. I think I love you. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I think I love you. I think I love you.